And that's what I did. So give it up for Peter DeSantis. Stand on your feet. Welcome him. So excited. Thank you, man. Got a little more energy, second service. So before I get into my message, I have a specific message for you as a church. Especially if you are serving here at this church. Sometimes you need a fresh perspective uh, from someone from the outside to come in and tell you kind of the facts. So whether you know it or not, especially if you're in the grind of you love this church, you're trying to reach other people, help other people see Jesus clearly, try to see Jesus more clearly yourself. And if you're in the grind of things, you might lose track of the facts. So let me tell you the facts. Luminous Church, you are a very successful church. Yeah, you can give yourself a hand for it. Why would someone start and take a risk and start something new? Because God is worth it. And people need it. And you guys are taking risks to come out here. And you're, you haven't even been launched for three years and you're already doing things to reach people and position yourself to multiply even more. We're not about buildings, we're about people. But you know what, after a few years of doing this, you know that if you can secure a regular location to be able to be stable to reach more people, it's something that very few churches can get to. And you've gotten here fast. You guys are successful. We've, uh, I've made some bad decisions over the last eight or nine years of living in church, but the last year or so, I've made a few good ones too. Most of them is because my wife and I have come down here and watched how Ben and Brandy are doing things, and how y'all do things. And if you only know Ben a little bit, and you think he's just a nice guy, let me just say you're, you're misjudging the man. He's a godly man. He's not just a nice guy. Uh, he's told me hard things the last few years that, that only good friends can say. Because he loves Jesus and he wants me to grow in him too. So this church, if, if you're visiting this church for the first or the tenth time, I, I want to encourage you. This is a safe place to grow, for your kids to grow, to get plugged in, to give. And I'm just going to go ahead and say what only a visiting guy can say because I can kind of take this risk. Don't get too nervous. Life is short. So jump in, get plugged in, go to the plugged in classes, give, give your money, put your time, your talent, and your treasure. Cool? You guys gotta talk back to me or else I need more insecurity. We're gonna get to my favorite book in the Bible today, Colossians, mostly Colossians 3. Uh, the topic that I've zeroed things in on today, the topic is all of life. All of life. It took me a while to kind of narrow things down. But we're going to talk about all of life. And don't worry, I'm not going to take all of your afternoon, just three or four hours here. Some of y'all don't know if I'm being facetious. Yes, I'm being facetious. But here's why I say all of life. Because all of life has come from Jesus, and all of life must turn to honor Him. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's Word. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, and I'll read all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, 
to this church in a small town in Rome, Colossae, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. Everyone say everything. Everything. Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's way beyond my thoughts or words. Father, all of life has been given to us. You've given us all things that, that pertain to life and godliness through your glorious Son. So help us to turn and honor you at work or in our homes, fundamentally in our hearts. Help us, God. Amen. My summary for the passage we just read is this. All of life has come from him, and all of life must turn to honor him. As I said, that's my summary. But I want to go back through and teach through this passage just a little bit. Verse 17, the first verse we read. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now right from the get-go here, before this big thought of all these things that people do, and more importantly, why they do it, and for what reward, he points to this relationship in this verse between Jesus the Son and God the Father. It's almost as if, to, as if to lay the foundation that the things Jesus does are in continuity with his relationship with his Father. Jesus himself said, I do nothing on my own accord. I only do what I see my Father doing. So check this out. Before Paul gets to all these things that people in different positions and places do and how it should be done and why, you can know for certain that there is perfect unity between God the Son who walked here on earth and God the Father. And just as there is perfect unity between God the Father and Jesus the Son, so also there should be unity between your public life and your private devotion. That's really important as we get into the specific things that, that Paul says to us and we, as I teach through it. All that you do, work for the one who's given all of life to you. Today we're going to talk about all of life, including work. Everyone say work. work. Now work is a four-letter word. 
but it is not a cuss word. All of work is sacred to God, not just ministry work. If you know Jesus, your work is just your occupational disguise. It should be sacred and devoted to God for his kingdom. There's fundamentally no difference between the work that I do and the work that you do as far as how it pertains to the God that we honor and his kingdom that we are to advance. All of work is to be sacred work. Now, there's this Greek word that I want to point out. I usually don't do this, but I need to point out a word that's used five times in the passage. I feel like this book, Paul, is purposefully redundant multiple times. And there's this one Greek word that's used five times, three times it goes to translate into English where we see the word everything. Two times it, it goes to form part of a word that's translated into English whatever or whatsoever if you read the King James. This Greek word is the word pas, not to be confused with the Latin word pax or the Spanish pas, which means peace. But pas in the Greek means each, every, any, all, the whole, all things, everything. Five times this word is used. So whether you're at home, you're in church, you're on the job, whoever you're relating to here on earth, Every and all and each moment is to be God's moment, if you know it. You're always on the clock, in other words, with Jesus. All of life has come from him, and all of life can and should turn to honor Jesus. So verse 17 could read like this. And in all whichever things that you do, each of them, in word or in deed, all things are to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. My middle school wrestling coach was the great Al Holbert. I'll just tell you straight up, I hated being at his wrestling practices. And yet I loved having been through his wrestling practices. Anyone relate to that? Like, I hate working out, but I love having worked out. This guy made you work so hard. I loved the feeling of accomplishment, but I didn't like the process of it. I loved being done. He made you work hard. He always said, we work with fire! And I felt the fire all over my body during his practices. <laughs> he made you work hard. I didn't know at the time that Al Colbert was a Christian. I was too focused uh, on my own impurity in my own silliness. And so after middle school, I went to high school in fresh, ardent pursuit of sin. And yet Jesus had sent people to pursue sinners like me. They were well-equipped, secret operatives that were students in my high school, like this lady who is now my wife. And they were empowered by a campus ministry like Every Nation Campus to reach people for Jesus, and I was rich. I didn't know that people other than old people and ugly people uh, even tried to follow the rules. I thought religion was just this dumb game for ignorant, weak people. And then I saw Jesus alive and beautiful young people. I didn't, I didn't know that that happened. I came to know Jesus. That was the September of 1997. Now fast forward to 
uh, June of the next year, I was at a football fundraiser, and I was feeling so bad for myself. Uh, I thought I had drawn the short end of the stick at this fundraiser, you know, the youngest person, the sophomore on, the, on my football team that just had to be here shoveling pig poop in the stall all by myself. I felt so bad for myself. I was nine months old in my new faith, and even though I was 15 months old in the flesh, I might as well have been a nine-month-old but based on my attitude. And in walks Al Holbert with a shovel, gingerly strolling in there. He had been transferred to my high school after my freshman year, and he didn't want to miss the opportunity to, to connect with me. And he is just shoveling dirt like it's some fun dance to him. And I'm kind of annoyed with him, and after a few minutes he stops and says, Peter, what are we doing? I, I said, Coach, we're shoveling poop. He says, no, that's the wrong answer. Peter, we are worshiping Jesus. And before I could argue with him about what we were doing, he goes into Colossians 3, some of these verses that we just read. And he shares with me, he says, Peter, you don't work for me. You don't work for Coach Walker, who's not our head coach. You don't even work for yourself. I've heard that you've become a Christian now, and now all of your work is fire. It's worship for the Lord Jesus. And he made me memorize part of Colossians 3 right there in that pig stall with that shovel in my hands. And I'll always be thankful for it. The next few years in high school, I tried to take every class that he taught. And I can see that whether he was shoveling poop or teaching American history or parenting or coaching, everything was done with this fire. And I remember him saying a few different times that it was one of his life goals to have as many different careers as possible as he was providing for his family because he never wanted to be defined by what he did, but by who he is and how he works because of for whom he works. That's the legacy of his life. All of life has come from Jesus, and all of life must turn to honor Jesus. And so just like Coach Al, Pastor Al, he had a lot of different names. Just like he asked me in that pig stall, I'm gonna ask you the same question. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are, are you working? Are you going to school? Are you raising small kids? God bless you. Are you working at the bank? Are you going into the office? My hope is that fundamentally below that, there is a deeper fire for what you do and for whom you do it. All of life has come from Jesus and all of life and work and everything you do must turn to honor him. That's my one point. That's the only point that I have. Now I'm gonna show you how that reality plays out in these various positions that Paul addresses. I'm going to really just briefly show you in the coming verses after verse 17. Paul approaches a few different people in a few different positions and roles in life or in work. And in each of these scenarios, he points to a deeper definition of what that person is and what that person is doing and a greater reward for why they do it because all of life has come from him. So check this out. The first ones he mentions are wives. Thank God for wives. Wives, verse 18, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. 
Now this verse, this whole letter was written to people in ancient Rome. This, this church in Colossae was, was right on the fringes of Roman society. And so it would, it would have been completely appropriate for Paul to have said here to a bunch of Romans, wives, obey your husbands. But it doesn't say wives, obey your husbands. It says for wives to submit to their husbands' servant leadership. Now, you might say, Pastor Peter, that doesn't make it any less controversial today. You're right. But we need to address this carefully. Because God's word is timeless. And it's above all cultures. When God's word describes the difference between men and women, it makes it clear that, check this out, get ready, men and women are different. Do you mind blowing yet? I've got a lot more brilliant ideas. I just thought that up on my own. But check this out. The Bible never once says that men or that a man is made in the image of God. The Bible only says that men and women are made in the image of God when they're walking in perfect unity with one another, which only God can do. Only when we are responding to the strength or the beauty of the other in unity, a unity that comes from the very life of God and through his redemptive power, only then can we display the image of God. And Christian marriage is so different than Roman understanding of men and women. Roman men ruled their wives as superiors. Christian men are called to lead their wives as equals. Christian marriage is not meant to be between a man and a woman. Christian marriage is designed by God to be between a man, a woman, and their God. There's two equals, and there's one leader leading a team that is mutually submitted to a holy God. That's the only way marriage works. It's when we're in mutual submission to God and one another. But even check out how Paul points out to wives. It doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because that's fitting in our culture. It says it's fitting in the Lord. So check this out. Wives, even if your husband's leadership is fitting of your respect, and, and often ours isn't, right? To be honest. Even when it's not fitting of your respect, you don't serve your husband, ultimately. You serve Jesus. And Jesus is the one who can secure you. Ephesians 5 even puts it directly like this. Wives, submit to your husbands, even just directly, as to the Lord. Because remember this. Wives, when your behavior wasn't fitting for a relationship with Jesus, he still died to make you his own so that you can be in right relationship with him. And that's why the rest of your life that you've been given, you can turn to honor him with it, even if your husband's being a punk, like we often are, right? But then it addresses husbands. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, if you read too fast, you might think that that's not extremely more difficult than what was just said to the wives. So let's break this down a little bit, man. Go ahead and start judging yourselves personally. You might say, hey, I'm not really a harsh kind of guy. 
But let me disagree with you for a second. Are you ever grouchy, man? No. Are you ever irritable? Or I'm about to say the D word. Are you ever defensive, demanding? Or check this out. When things get difficult, do you ever just check out in any sort of way? Listen, we're talking about harshness right now. Something that's way more harsh, man, than active and loud aggression is passive aggression. It's passive aggression. And what we're commanded to do here is a very loud and active love. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5 draws that love. It, it, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How, how did Christ actively love the church? Well, there was some carrying a hundred pound piece of wood up a mountain after having his back torn open by a whip. Uh, and then there was some rusty nails driven through his carpal ligaments into a thorny piece of wood that he just got done carrying. And there were, then there was some suffocating and dying. Think about that picture and put it on your wedding invitation. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. God, help me. Jesus was never harsh with me in his discipline. So husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases them. Right? No. It says this pleases the Lord. And that's important to know that even when your behavior isn't pleasing to your parents, if they don't, maybe they're Christians or they're not, they don't understand that your obedience and your reference is to, to someone greater even to, than to them. You know that your behavior is to please your heavenly Father above all else. It doesn't say obey your parents in all things because they might pay for your college. It says, obey your parents in all things, fearing the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Before you are anyone else, before you're anything else, or before you're defined by what you do, you are, if you know Jesus, you've been made new by him, before anything else, you are a child of God. That's what defines you. That's what you can put on your business card. That's who you are. And so you can be a loving and obedient child even when your parents don't deserve it and when they failed you. Jesus is the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And even if by your earthly parents you have been forsaken, you have been left, you have a healing and a power available to you that secures you that you can actually behave this way. Because all of life has come from him. And all of life must turn to honor him. Your parents might have conceived you, but God is the one who has predestined you. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who secures you. He's the one who strengthens you. And we are to turn and honor him. Verse 21, fathers. You got any fathers in here? Praise the Lord. This one's hard for me. Fathers, 
do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, I said that everything pointed back to a relationship with God. Let me explain to you how this discouragement thing is an instruction for how to not allow our kids to be disconnected from God. Parents, we are to lead and to discipline our children, not to control and to provoke our children. I feel like it's like every week in our community group in our church that I'm going and confessing sin in this area. And just by getting patience with my kids. We saw the picture of our kids, the Dusan family. We have four kids so far, and uh, we said there are four Dusanimals, those Dusanimites. And here's the thing about them they tend to act their age. <laughs> when our oldest was three, we were diagnosed as infertile. Our doctor told us we were infertile, and when we adopted our son, we right away got pregnant. Jesus had his own opinion of our fertility, and her name is Adam. Uh, standing with her brother there. They're inseparables. They are always uh, together. Uh, and then he had a little double portion of our infertility, and her name is Belen, the other little redhead. They act their age. They are now eight, five, four, and two. And I need to grow in my patience for my kids. I need Jesus so much. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Check this out. The goal of my parenting is not that my kids will follow my rules. It's that my kids are energized, that they're encouraged, that they're pointing to Jesus, that they want the adventure of knowing him and making him known. And nothing I do can discourage that or should discourage that. I want my kids in whatever they do in word and in deed to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and not to please me and not to avoid my impatience. Fathers, mothers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in everything, in all things, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing them. No, fearing the Lord, again, points to God. Now, some versions, I'm going to address this just directly. Some versions, like King James, here and in other places in the New Testament, instead of saying the word bondservant, the word used is slaves. First thing I need to say is that there's an important difference that we need to understand in our point in history between ancient Greek bond service and what we know as the modern institution or the transatlantic slavery or American slavery in our history, where human beings were treated like animals. Now that's something that we need to address, and we still need God to heal in our nation, the effects of it. We still need uh, to act like a church. The only way that the effects of that awful part of human history can be overturned is the gospel of Jesus in his church. But when Paul addresses bondservants, it's, it's a little bit different of a thing. And yet, the New Testament never once even condones bondservants. But here, Paul doesn't even condemn it either. Instead, Paul encourages 
followers of Jesus to override any oppression of earthly systems the same way Jesus did. Through love and sacrifice. Or, put it this way, through being just ridiculously, supernaturally good employees. So, so check this out. It's, it's personal evaluation time. You know, it's like, well, I don't come to church to get judged. Well, you can at least judge yourself, right? God loves you and allows you to evaluate yourself. So evaluate yourself on this. Am I a good employee? Like, really good employee? Does my boss say, man, if I just had two or three more of him, I would make so much money. She should say that. She should. I hope that's the way you work because ultimately you're not working for her. You're working with fire for someone better. I hope that's, that's the way you work. You can lead her to Christ by the way you work. The money that God blesses you with, with the favor of God, that's supernaturally upon you. I hope you don't miss your opportunity. Paul says, don't fear your earthly masters. Fear God. See, I'm either a slave of sin or I'm a slave to righteousness. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, I can be a bondservant, controlled and compelled by the mercy I've received. And if I've become a vessel of God's mercy, I will become an instrument of it. And it's going to bless everyone around me. And there just can't, there's too much to go around. That's why it goes on to say in the next several verses, verse 23 and on. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Meaning this. Don't worry about what other people do. Worry about yourself. Your, your work and your life is not done in reaction to your boss or to your spouse. It's done in reference to your God, first and foremost. That's why the last person or group of people that Paul addresses here, even though a new chapter starts... The completion of his thought is verse 1 of chapter 4, masters. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And that's the big concluding point of the day. Whether or not you're a boss, you have something under your responsibility. Uh, you, you have probably people that you're responsible for in some way. You might not have a bondservant in ancient Greece, but you do have something under your responsibility. And the question of the day is, the, is, does the way you steward that responsibility, those relationships, those people, does it show that you have a master in heaven? If not, there's a gift for you today. And that's the mercy of God to allow you to repent, to change, to work differently, not just by trying harder, but by dying today, receiving new power, new life, new grace, new fire, so that people will see the way you work and not be able to even give you credit for it, 
They'll say, something else is going on here. I need whatever that person has. All of life has come from him. Here's what's great about our faith that distinguishes us from every idea, religion, faith, any other uh, thing that people have tried to accomplish. We don't just try harder. Every other thing that people do is man's effort to get to God. If I go to Mass and confession enough, if I pray towards Mecca, if I center myself and find oneness within myself, maybe I can kind of get to transcendence or get to God. But Christian faith is the only faith where God comes to us. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. And then what happened when he came? He lived the life that we should have lived. He worked in a way that we should have worked. That's the good news. You don't need to leave here today, hey, just work a little harder. You need to leave here today and know that when you failed, and you did, and so did I. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and it earned him a certain consequence, eternal life. Us not doing the things that we should have done and worked the ways we should have worked earned us a consequence, eternal death. And Jesus was willing to trade our consequence for his. He's extended the offer to all of humanity, but there's a fundamental difference between a gift offered and a gift received. Jesus is the only one who has the authority to extend that gift. He got up out of the grave the same weekend he was uh, crucified. He rose from the dead so that he could give us new life. All of life has come from him. And before we leave today, I just want to beg you, Please don't try to honor God with a life that you have not yet received. If you haven't been made new by God, it, it doesn't matter if you've come to church your whole life, uh, if you've read the Bible front to back, if you've never been born again, if you've never had new power inside you, the Holy Spirit living inside you, it's called regeneration, it's called new life. If you've never received new life, please, 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 don't try to just turn over a new leaf today. That works about as well as those New Year's resolutions that you made a few months ago, right? It's futility. What God's calling you to do today, if you've never received new life, is to die. Is to literally say, God, I'm dying to myself. Make me new. And here's the great part of the gospel. He will. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Just lay down your life. Confess the Lord Jesus as, as your Lord and say, God, make me new. And we don't have to have any sort of you know, fireworks. We don't have to dim the lights. We don't have to do any of these, these things. You can just pray with sincerity. And God is here and he can make you new. When we pray today, if that's you, if you've never been made new, I want to invite you, compel you. If I could scream loud enough to influence you to receive that gift, I would. But it doesn't work like that. I'm just going to invite you. If you've already received a new life, I want to ask you a question. What part of that life that he's given you needs to turn and honor Jesus? What part of your work, your parenting, your whatever you found yourself on this list that Paul just mentioned? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the life that only you give. We ask that you would make it clear today that your fire would be upon us to honor you. 
I don't want to embarrass you, but if you're here and you've never received new life from Jesus and you want to fully and finally give yourself to the one who fully gave himself to you on the cross, if this is your moment that maybe you'll tell your grandkids about in the future where you want to surrender your life to Jesus, as an act of faith, I need you to be so brave, even now, as we're praying, to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone else? So great. Jesus, make me new. Lord, we ask for new life, new power. Lord, for wherever we are on this process of life, whether we received new life from you years ago or whether today is our first act of fully going all in. I pray that there would be a work that only you can do in the way that we work, in the way that we act, in the way that we treat one another, that can only be credited to that there is a God who is alive. Have your way in us. Amen. Let's give Peter a big hand. Let's give God a bigger hand as we stand up this morning. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you in every way, God. I thank you that you take the dead things and breathe life into them. Thank you for that, Jesus.